Welcome to today's podcast, Why Business Resiliency is Critical to Your Organization's Success. If the key systems or data that your organization depends on were suddenly unavailable, how would you keep the business operating? What can you do to minimize the likelihood and impact of a cyber incident? In short, business resiliency. The exact recipe might look a little different depending on the organization, but general principles apply across industry verticals and to organizations of varying size and complexity. In today's podcast, I'll interview John Mumford, Chief Risk Officer at Fellsway Group. John will discuss how organizations can improve their resiliency by creating strategies and programs to effectively respond to business incidents, restore digital operations, and ensure the company brand is protected. Fellsway Group is a consulting firm comprised of experienced business professionals dedicated to helping business leaders identify and mitigate cyber risk through proven methodologies and frameworks. Fellsway's sole purpose is to help organizations protect themselves from the myriad of threats they face while securely enabling business growth. Well, John, welcome to today's podcast and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. I'm looking forward to the dialogue. Yeah, and let's dive right into it. I mean, we've seen everything, uh, even today, uh, a big article about Capital One, um, but almost every other day we hear about some cyber incident. Um, but what, from your perspective and the Fellsway Group, what, what are some of the consequences of really not taking general business resiliency seriously, even beyond the cyber world? Yeah, other than the data loss that you mentioned um, related to the recent Capital One Insta hack, you know, it's all about staying in business for your customers. Your customers have come to create loyalty and trust of doing business with you for your goods and services. So to me, it's about staying in business and uh, continuing to provide those goods and services to your customers to maintain trust and loyalty. But it's also to, you know, maintain current and even future business revenue so you can enable growth. Um, and then there's that unplanned operational spend of having to repair from uh, a particular outage or incident, as well as keeping your, your employees calm during the uncertainty of, of that uh, breach or outage and the nervousness they may feel and how do you communicate to them. All in all, it's about your reputation and any potential legal or um, fines, you know, legal damages or fines that you may have to pay that disrupt you from what your main purpose is, which is providing goods and services to those loyal customers of yours. That's great. Let's unpack this a little bit because we hear a lot of um, terms thrown around when we're talking about resiliency. Uh, it comes to mind things like disaster recovery, business continuity, uh, incident response, and crisis management. Let's unpack that a little bit. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the differences and, and some of the interrelationships between those terms as well. Sure. First, I'll define a little bit about each. So disaster recovery really are those detailed steps for your organization to follow during and immediately after a disaster. So that may also include preventative strategies and practicing, right? Business continuity takes over from that disaster recovery point to ensure the business continues to operate long after the disaster. And having things in place like insurance or loans or replacement equipment. 
crisis management is after you've confirmed you have an incident, how will you manage the chaos and the communications up to and including invoking disaster recovery? And then incident response is what you may legally be obligated to do to respond both to regulators and or to customers that may have been impacted, as well as communicating during that incident with your employees to keep them on task and keep them, uh, you know, motivated. So that's how I would differentiate the three or four. But really it has to be one cohesive strategy. I can't decouple them from each other. They all rely and are interdependent with each other. Yeah, I think that's what makes this this is hard work, right? I mean, and, and, and organizations we're seeing, as are you, I'm sure, are struggling to really create an effective program around this re- resiliency. Um, but, but share with us, you know, what you're seeing, some of the, some of the places and the ways the companies you're seeing are falling short. We'll get to how do they, how do they prevent that in a minute, but what are you seeing in certain areas where they're falling short? Um, I, I think they're falling short in various portions of that. And what we've been able to do kind of as a business requirement strategy, I'll say, to help companies move the ball forward is we start with crisis management and incident response. And by running a workshop, you identify things upstream that may not be effectively in place related to disaster recovery, like can we recover our data from our backups? Or business continuity, do we have another place to work while we're uh, recovering and, and continuing to operate? So when we run the crisis management workshops, uh, we learn a lot about that company's preparation and identification of their critical business processes that they should address first to prioritize their DR plans. Um, if you say, do you have a disaster recovery plan, they may say yes. If you dig a little bit deeper and ask, have they tested it recently, they may say yes. But if you ask, have you ever actually tried to do a live recovery where you have systems down, then they start to get, uh, you know, a deer-in-the-headlights look. So I think, to your point, Greg, it is a big, uh, a lot of work. Uh, and we feel peeling back the onion from crisis management and moving backwards helps prioritize what to build in those prior steps, DR and BCP. Got it. So I love one of those terms that you guys use at Fellsway talks about uh, business resiliency, the maturity of your business resiliency program. And maybe you can talk a little bit about stages of maturity there and and how do you get from one to the next to, to build a, a mature program? Sure. The reason, Greg, you mentioned that, which I like, is um, we, we don't like to bring our clients from ignorance into negligence by exposing them to all the things that are broken. So first we want to evaluate their maturity to take on what's most critical to them. And to, to that point, we feel that the steps are is do they know how they make money, and what critical business processes need to be operating to continue that value stream, that trust to their clients. And if they can identify that, then let's perform 
you know, a deeper inspection and analysis about that process to see where they're at risk and see if they have protective mechanisms in place. And do they even know what the recovery point? So could they, so the maturity and risk tolerance kind of play together. Um, could they withstand an outage um, uh, if, it, if the outage was longer than one hour, one day, one week? So I have two anecdotes along this line. Um, one is we had a customer that was very mature at understanding that if they were out of business for a day, it would cost $11 million for them uh, every day that they weren't operable. So at least we knew that. Uh, level of maturity of what they would be losing and what was at stake. So when we put together plans and investments, uh, we could, we could build the priority against that $11 million. The other was a company recognized that the most critical process for them was to bring up their payroll first because they wanted to make sure that the folks who are going to help with the recovery knew that they were going to continue to get paid. Um, two different ends of the spectrum, but I think by diving too deep too early, you get mired in the details and you need to bring it up to a level of maturity um, to say how mature are we at even recognizing how we make money and what should be up and running for our clients first. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's, it's sort of self-aware of that company a little bit in terms of um, taking care of their own employees first. Um, and then and then taking care of everything else. Interesting. You, would you have said they were kind of along further along on that maturity scale? I would say culturally yes, because they understand what matters to uh, to operate to be in business, not only for themselves but also for their clients. So I would say from a culture maturity, yes. The other one I would say from a financial maturity, they know what it costs in fines and delays in operation and lost revenue of that $11 million. Uh, both are mature in different areas, so it, the, the idea is how do we inspect other elements of maturity and um, do they have the right skilled people to manage the process of disaster recovery or crisis management? Do they have the right maturity to identify where backups actually are to recover uh, during an outage. So there's other areas of maturity we inspect, but yes, those are two that are culturally aware or fiscally aware and mature. Yeah, and, and sort of along the same lines, I'm sure there's some metrics um, that a company can use to sort of determine where they are and track their progress. I and mean, what sort of metrics do you guys look at along that continuum of, of maturity? Uh, sure. Um, we, again, staying at the maturity level and not deep diving into how many data elements you have and how much data do you have and what's the, you know, basically you're working towards what we call a re recovery point objective. That's what you're working towards. In other words, if my expectation is I can't have more than a one-hour outage, well, then I've got to build towards that. So how mature am I on a spectrum to even meet that uh, recovery point objective, I need to know, first and foremost, do I even have a plan? If I don't, well, let's start to build the plan and put the people in place. The next is, if they have that maturity, do you have a plan? Well, has it been tested? Do you practice it regularly? And you have a fully skilled staff to manage. If that's not answered, we, we work on that piece. 
And then the next one is we'll go live with some stuff and actually see if they can recover to their objective that they stated. So maybe they can fully recover, but it took them three days. Well, they have more work to do because their objective is we can't withstand even one day being down. And then when you do that, um, that final level is now are you achieving recovery point objective even in your practice sessions, your live sessions. So that maturity spectrum, more so than the, the details of uh, measuring each and every business process and, and such. It's more maturity. And so when you're, when you're talking about that, too, you just mentioned it, too, that sort of the practicing side of things. Um, you guys also have this phrase, which I like a lot, is practice makes permanent, and, you know, as, it reply, as it applies to business resiliency. What do you guys mean when you, when you talk about that phrase? Sure. Practice makes permanent um, is you know that you have a feedback loop to improve. Uh, so every single t- practice will never make perfect because perfect will never happen. Uh, but permanent um, gets all the other ambiguity out of the way. So you are focused on uh, what matters most. So permanent practice is do I continue and staying at the maturity level, do I have a plan that's effective or do I need to update my plan? Do I have skilled people or do I need to replace and put more you know, uh, replace skilled people and put them in place. So the permanent is I know everything will work um, as best as we can plan for, but we'll be audible ready for that little last percent if, uh, if it's not. But you've created that permanence in resiliency versus perfection because perfection is unachievable. So I hope that, you know, answered the question about permanence is practice, skillful people, repeatability, muscle memory, um, and proving that you're meeting the metric of recovery point objective. Yes, like anything else that you want to be good at, you got to practice it, right? Um, yeah. You mentioned this term earlier in today's discussion, sort of decoupling, and I think it is hard to look at cyber in its own sort of, that, you know, silo uh, itself. It's hard to decouple cyber risk from other forms of risk, um, whether that's physical safety and security, legal and regulatory, all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you guys approach that? Because it's, it's really, there's a lot of entanglements and a lot of interrelationships between those different risk guys when you're, when you're talking about with a client around their cyber resiliency. Sure. Uh, uh, we believe that cybersecurity is a facet of cyber risk. Cyber risk is a facet of business risk because in today's day and age, um, every business on the planet is a digital business. Every process that they orchestrate um, is pretty much automated through technology. So what's the difference if it was a business disruption because of a power outage or a hardware failure or a cyber attack? The tactics of understanding the threats and therefore the mitigating risk to, to, um, uh, the, the mitigating factors to reduce that threat might change some tactics, but from a business resiliency, I can't tell the difference. The bottom line is I need to be up and operational for my clients. I may respond to regulators or to my customers differently, um, based on laws and regs. Uh, around cybersecurity, but 
to me, cyber risk is a business risk, and it's all about uh, brand and reputational uh, impact and how do I stay resilient to withstand a power outage or a cyber attack. Uh, the strategies are the same. I think it's great. I mean, we have a lot of, you see a lot of providers out there that are very, very focused just on the cyber vertical and cyber silo. But thinking more holistically, I think, is, is the right way of going around business, business risk and business resiliency. Um, so, so then that leads into the question around, you know, kind of uh, creating uh, across the organization, not just in the cyber world or the IT world, you know, alignment and I guess I would call it a f accountability to manage all these different impacts from a cyber incident. It could be financial, it could be reputational, as you mentioned, it could be operational. But how do you create that alignment and accountability across the, the company? Yeah, I love this question because if you proactively ask that question, everybody's going to, you know, no one will step forward. Everybody will step back other than the CISO who's standing there having to somehow own all of this risk, right? So when we push on an organization to evaluate their uh, maturity in business resiliency, either, you know, through our crisis management workshop, I'll use those two examples I used or one of those examples. So when one client said payroll was the most important thing, so let's look at that digital process. Who owns that digital process? Not IT, but, say, the CFO owns uh, the financial component of that organization, which includes payroll. So if the CFO owns the accountability and the risks associated with being up and available to run payroll, meet payroll, then they need to be uh, educated on the vulnerabilities of that digital process, not not the security guy, and they need to then make decisions about the investments to make that more resilient. So the accountability shifts away from IT and the CISO or someone who owns security to the uh, logical business owner of that process. So that's how we create the alignment. And then we can talk about the same thing with HR. Um, you know, if our HR system isn't up, um, who owns that risk? Well, HR does. IT is the facilitator and enabler of that technology so that digital business process runs. So that's how we drive alignment and priority and ownership and accountability of managing, you know, the financial, operational, or reputational risks and therefore the recoverability uh, due to a cyber incident or others. So all this stuff great stuff. It does take investment from the company, time and money uh, to, to get more mature in, uh, in these areas and do that organizational alignment. Uh, how do you guys help companies make that business case? You know, sometimes it's, well, we're going to, uh, I've seen it, the business case, we're going to um, spend the money so that we can not have a, a, a fine, a regulatory fine. <laughs> we're going to spend the money to avoid something else. But Talk a little bit about how you guys help companies make the business case for more investment in time and money. Yeah, so there's a couple couple ways we approach that. One is by having a dialogue about how the company makes money and what are their goals and objectives to their clients. Um, we start to have a conversation about if this is the revenue-generating business process, 
then what is the um, value to to that process or what's the loss of potential value if that process is unavailable? And that helps us to um, not only prioritize our activities, but prioritize the spend. Using that $11 million example I gave you earlier, if they're saying that's a cohesive business process between sales, supply chain, and uh, finance who kind of maintain that uh, and, and compliance, uh, we know that um, if I said I needed to spend $10,000 to um, m- ensure that this, these systems are protected, well, my vector is $11 million. If we don't do it, $10 million is worth that investment. So the business case seems easy, but they, you had to have done that legwork up front. If not, you're just pushing rope from the bottom saying we have 400 vulnerabilities. I'm not sure how to prioritize. And then I just get uh, pushed as a cost center to just, you know, apply maybe 5% of my budget to try to fix some of those things. So the business case gets flipped by um, describing first uh, how do you make money and what is that worth protecting to keep it resilient and then looking through what the, the necessary investments are to retain and maintain that. That's great. Well, so we always like to leave uh, our audience here with some key takeaways. So I'm going to ask you to, you know, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, but give give us sort of t- your top five things that a company can do right now to be more resilient, to be more mature in that, in that business resiliency timeline. So the five things we recommend are, first and foremost, someone should take ownership for the organization on Uh, what is business continuity management and what is our strategy? That's first. The second would be, do you have plans for disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, and incident response? And do you practice those on a regular basis? And do you have the right skilled and accountable resources to drive requirements and uh, uh, assure that the testing has been effective or update those requirements through other improvements. And the last would just be practice, practice, practice. Excellent. So before we close here, I mean, I love this phrase you, you, you brought up earlier, cyber risk is a business risk, and that kind of says it all, and that it's really got to be holistically viewed. But a lot of that depends on what the company's risk tolerance is, right? We haven't touched on that. So maybe maybe in our clo- your closing kind of piece here, just talk a little bit about Companies' risk tolerance. How do they how do they assess what their risk tolerance is and apply that to the resiliency program? Yeah, I appreciate that question, and I think we did talk about a lot of I'll say methodologies or tactics or even steps and maturity. But if the company isn't sure what their risk maturity and risk sorry their risk tolerance is, then they're going to thrash about a lot of decision making. So if a company can mature what their risk tolerance is, it helps to streamline decision making and and make that decision making a repeatable process. So if you know your risk tolerance is uh we can't exceed eleven million dollars a day uh of loss, so um you know our tolerance to invest and make decisions is a number below that. I think balls will move forward in organizations in making decisions to improve your resiliency. So I do agree risk tolerance is the key um, 
um, metric for a risk committee to make decisions. And if that's not in place, you can thrash about for a while. So, yeah, good point, Greg. Well, thank you, John. This has been really informative. I think you guys have a really interesting approach um, and one that I think our clients can benefit from. Uh, so thank you for joining us today on today's podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If you like this content and want more, go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member. RAIN members get exclusive access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book email digest, expert content, and more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member today.